Hey folks, Season 4, Episode 7 of the AppSec Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Niels Tannis, and we talk about a slice of the razor with ASP.NET Core. We talk all things web applications in a Microsoft or .NET C-sharp world, and Niels explains some of the intricacies of Razor Pages, which is a relatively new technology in the world of C-sharp and .NET. Please enjoy. The Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Hey folks, we are once again at AppSec EU, and we happen to be looking over at Westminster Chapel, I think, Westminster Abbey, something like that, I don't know. Um, a long line of people, not here for the security conference, but here to apparently see Westminster Abbey. Um, I'm joined today by Niels Tannis, and we are going to talk about ASP.NET Core in general and many different things in that area. But Niels, first, we always like to ask, what is your security origin story? How did you get into the world of security? So when I started out my career, I was infected with the OPSEC virus by uh, doing my bachelor thesis at a company. Um, and then I moved on to the development space, but still keep kept an eye on security. And then um, after 10, 12 years doing .NET development, I got the ability to move into the security space full time. Uh, did some ethical hacking, pen testing, more like AppSec consultancy after that. And right now I'm part of CFR code and I'm doing research for our static engine. So it's like combining all those things into one job, which is pretty awesome to do, like developing, but also still keeping an eye on everything that's tied to security. So. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard someone say that they were infected with the AppSec virus. <laughs> that's usually how we call it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I know what you mean, but infected with the AppSec virus. So your development background was in the C-sharp world? Yeah, so I started out with the first versions of the framework 1.0. I think it's 2002 or something that was released. Okay. And I, I, yeah, I, always are, I was working in that space for quite some time. And... Um, I really enjoy this, the, the, the way that the stack has evolved over the time. If you would compare, let's say, the Microsoft company, how it is right now and how they deal with IDEs and development tools in general and what they've done recently with, with the stuff like acquiring uh, companies like GitHub and so on. I think they're on a pretty good track um, compared to what it was, how it started out doing web forms, like a big black box framework. You just use it, a lot of bad stuff happening. And if you compare it to right now, let's say with ASP.NET Core, it's all it's all open. It's it's pretty transparent what's happening. Um, of course, there's always a programmer that will write software that might end up being uh, vulnerable to something. Right? That still uh, is is is, uh, is is something that will remain. But um, no, I'm, I'm I think it's like really matured. And if you would compare, let's say, even Microsoft a couple of years ago and how it is right now and how they are like doing stuff for developers, mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty good. So and C Sharp. Has always been the main language. Uh, done a lot of web development, more like to say backend services, WCF. I've done the whole stack from back to front. Okay, so uh, yeah, so so front end, back end of C sharp. Uh, so what are you talking about here then at AppSec EU? So with ASP.NET Core, they introduced a multi-platform targeting framework which you can use to 
if you if you ask them like um, why should I use it, it's mostly focused on doing microservices and running everywhere, right? So that's the whole thing. They're so it's taking taking .NET and bringing it back into a uh, microservices architecture. No, it's more like being able to target different platforms, like running it on Linux or Mac OS X or of course Windows. Um, and, 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 and it's modular based and that's also a big difference compared to let's say the full framework which you needed to install fully in order to use it. Okay. And what this is just composing your app based on packages that are on NuGet, right? So on the, on the repository of, of all the part, third party components. Just pull them in uh, and build your project and you will have an app, right? And so instead of the the classic way where I get the mono, I'll call it monolithic, yeah, that's, that's probably not right monolithic, definition. But the yeah. monolithic full framework, I got to yeah. get all the pieces and have it installed as a runtime or whatever. In this type of environment, you just pick and choose what you need so it's minimized, install, doesn't... Yeah, you can also do a lot of optimizations how you deploy, but I, the, the, I think the most like powerful part is that it composes itself like... You have dependencies, you will get it, and you will just use it. And that also gives you the ability to, um, let's say that the release cycle has been pretty heavy for ASP.NET Core, especially for, let's say, vendors to keep up with that kind of frameworks and supporting yeah. it. It's like going in a quick pace, major release every year, uh, minor release twice a year even, I think, with Core. Um, so, yeah, it gives you a lot more flexibility, and, and, and that also changes, of course, the game. I need to develop software in general, right? And the fact that it's rewritten from scratch, so ASP.NET Core MVC has got some relation with MVC in, in the full framework, and it's using Razor, but there's also stuff that's completely different, and um, APIs that are different, and will behave differently if a developer uses them. And uh, yeah, there are some glitches that developers need to be aware of on how to deal with, with that, right? Yeah, so let's let's kind of circle back here, and I told you before we started here, I'm not a I'm not an in-depth C-sharp.net person, so... Okay. Uh, I understand, and I think most of our listeners will understand .NET as a conceptual idea of, of a framework here, yeah. but, but give us a little bit more detail on ASP.NET Core in general. What, what are we talking about when you're specifically using those terms? What do they mean? So ASP.NET is mostly the, the web-based framework to expose, let's say, an HTTP, HTTPS endpoint that will allow you to expose API services that will render either, let's say, web pages and it's then using Razor Views or Razor Pages, for example, from ASP.NET Core 2.0. And um, microservices that render, let's say, uh, JSON structures or maybe even XML, if that's the thing that you're working with. And, and all that, creating APIs, all that right? So that's more like the microservices. So that all comes from ASP.NET. Yeah. So are, when you say core in general, are these two different things? Uh, and you've got .NET Core as the, the basis framework. So that's the, the, the framework itself. And on top of that, you run ASP.NET Core MVC in order to uh, expose the whole MVC pattern, like the controllers, the views, like the basic... Okay, model uh, view controllers, yes. standard architecture exactly. stuff. So ASP.NET Core and then ASP.NET General sits on top of that? And ASP.NET, like what do you mean with ASP.NET General? Like the... Uh, for core, that's 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 the stack, and that's the way how you use it. So I'm not sure what you mean. Okay, okay. So there is okay. All right. So ASP.NET Core is the the stack, the, the pieces that I use for yeah. my web. It provides my web app. Yeah, exactly. So it, it allows you to create either services or uh, expose some some HTML and more richer content from that. Okay, and so there, you know, we know that writing secure software in any language is difficult. Yeah. 
Um, what are some of the challenges? I mean, does, does ASP.NET provide any, is there any different challenges that ASP.NET provides from, I'm much more familiar with Java, the world of Java, so, um, but, I'm, but I'm wondering is there, you know, you gotta be de considered with cross-site scripting, yeah. uh, SQL injection, yeah. um, XXE uh, for XML, you know, XML injection. Um, serialization is not a, from what I remember, what I understand, serialization is not as big. There of a are problem. some subtleties that you need to, to be aware of. I think um, to maybe uh, jump on that story, I think also a tech service and what's being exposed is one of the major attention points if we compare ASP.NET Core MVC with the full framework. Okay. So in an MVC, in a, in a normal MVC pattern, the controller will be the, the thing that gets instantiated once a user wants to request, let's say, data or uh, has a form, web form, it fills in data and it posts it back. Um, with ASP.NET Core, that's convention-based uh, resolved, meaning that anything that ends up with the word controller will be found by the by that framework once it uh, hooks up a, a, a web host endpoint. So there's a Kestrel web server internally that will um, start out, that will have the MVC pipeline configured. You can do a lot that it's all open, you can all replace it, it's pretty cool. But the controllers will be resolved based on name. And one downside it has, being convention-based, any third-party library that will be uh, uh, referenced by the main project will be exposed if there is something inside which is called controller. Mm -hmm. And that's one downside. Like Developers need to be aware of the fact that if they take any third-party library from the internet, um, of course, we need to build on top of open source and frameworks that help us out be more productive. Yep. But you also rely on them doing a good job. And most of the time, like open source projects are done by people in their spare time. Uh, let's say there are five of them that, that do such thing, for example. You need to keep up with security. Um, components or software that's being breached. We have seen a couple of examples lately about a big software like, like, the, like Gentle Linux that was recently, of course, that, yeah. um, that got hacked by just a simple password on Git. Right? So how can you, as a developer, uh, you need to be sure as a developer that if you pull in third-party libraries, that, that there's a risk tied to that. And by doing that convention-based resolving, you open up a door. So that if somebody has bad intentions, you can put in a controller somewhere in the back. You don't even notice if you just use it because it's convention-based. And maybe open up a back door, right? And that's, of course, maybe a bit bit paranoid, but I think it's it's good that a developer needs to be aware that that happens internally. Yeah. And the same counts for Razor Pages, which is like one of the newest additions to the family. Tell me, tell me what that is real quick. So okay. It's Razor Pages? Razor Pages. So uh, most of the people that have done .NET development in the past know web forms, okay. which is like the point and click, and uh, what you see is what you get. You drop buttons on it and, and click on it, and you can go write your code. Razor Pages is something that's been written on top of MVC, so it runs in the same pipeline, but it has an MVVM pattern tied to it, meaning that... Um, uh, there's a view model that has a single purpose that will execute something, and there's also some convention-based stuff happening. Okay. The nice thing is that it really covers a lot of the uh, downsides if we're going to talk about request forgeries like uh, Razor Pages will have default tokens and a double submit uh, like synchronizer inside of it with a cookie and a... And all by, it's, it's all by default. It's all by default. Built the in. developer don't need to like, do anything for that, which is good compared to MVC where you need to make sure that the tokens are being turned on they're being rendered, but the controller hasn't got that turned on by default. To check the to token. Check, to check the token. Okay. So, and that's that's another glitch compared to what Core does better than MVC um, in total. After the break, we'll explore Razor Pages. Is it a better way of doing web forms and receiving information from a user? 
The Application Security Podcast operates with support from Security Journey. A security belt program provides the three pillars of successful AppSec training, learning, application, and experience. Visit us on the web at www.securityjourney.com to learn how you can teach and empower your developers using a new kind of security training. Now let's hear from Niels again about Razor Pages and are they really a better way of doing web forms and security in an ASP.NET context? I think that the power of it is that it really takes away um, a bit of the complexity that you need to deal with from MVC because okay. a controller can render multiple views. You don't know which view will be rendered. Okay. And a single Razor page has got one purpose. And, um, but it's still interchangeable, so they, they can both coexist so it's easy to ramp up with Razor Pages, and then if you need to do more advanced, just replace it with the others and move on. So I think that's a pretty powerful, powerful pattern that they introduced over there. As I said, Razor Pages are pretty like um, like configuring the pipeline in the best way possible from security perspective. So request forgeries are turned on for MVC controllers in core. As I said, the views render them, but the attribute needs to be annotated. If you if people are familiar with Visual Studio, there's a lot of scaffolding you can do based on a data structure I want to expose data. Yep. Um, and the thing that it renders by default is, is pretty good, but uh, and it will inject the, the validate forgery token for you on top of the method, which is like an annotation, right? If this yeah. method gets executed, make sure you validate the request forgery token before continuing. That's all good. And there's also a filter you can turn it on by default. But there were some struggles, I believe, with the fact that controllers can be used for APIs, pure APIs, like non-web-based, let's say mm -hmm. HTML, exposed APIs, and MVC. So that's the reason why they couldn't not turn it on by default, but is what I've heard from, from people from Microsoft. Um, with the latest version of Core, which is 2.1, but they're going at such a quick pace, they introduced a, uh, an attribute that you can use to annotate an API controller, which makes it even easier to distinct uh, it from a normal controller and I think that opens up the door for people to have more nice base class libraries for their own applications so you're talking about base baseline security libraries yeah if you do like if you do development at, at, at a big scale in a company I would assume that in case I would make sure that if I do ASP.NET Core development I would have my own base template which I would expect every development team to use from like if you would do deal with it from AppSec perspective and that's like the base that everybody will use. And you can turn this on, on by default. Um, yeah, because sure. you hear the stories of big companies where they have lots of different microservices that make up some type of an API. Yeah. And one of them has authentication and the next one ne next to it doesn't. One has authorization, but no auditor authentication. And, and so they're not using any type of standardization across the board. No. So you're, you're, it sounds like you're... Kind of your your perspective is there should be a standardized approach yeah. to what security services are implemented there. Yeah, and I think the same that will also allow you to easily check if somebody takes a sidestep and maybe that's needed, right? So I think the best thing that I like about ASP.NET Core compared to the full framework ASP.NET is that the defaults are pretty good, and if somebody wants to do a bad thing, then the API will explicitly mention you that you're doing stuff that might be a bit smelly at that point. Okay. But it still can be a decision because it's needed. Um, let's say that uh, if we move to um, cross-site scripting mm -hmm. and how that's being solved. So Razor itself is the view engine that's responsible for both rendering the views for MVC and it also renders the Razor pages. It's, it's a similar syntax. 
the nice thing about that, it, it will do HTML or it will do context-specific encoding for the thing it's, it, it needs at that point, right? There's a lot of tech helpers that will then, uh, let's say, button input things. And, and that's coming from Razor. That's, that's coming default. from the back. Yeah. So, so I don't have to make a call. I'm going to, okay, maybe I do know something about it. <laughs> okay, cool. So anti-XXS. No. So I don't have to do that no. with no. the Razor page. No. It all then, happens no. automatically. No. And, then, and if you want to do, let's say if you still have a piece of rich text, let's say HTML you want to render at some point, and you've done all the things you need to do, make sure it's safe, you know the origin, maybe you validate the structure and you say like this is something I want to uh, not be re-encoded because that's the whole problem. You will mark it with HTML raw in the view and, um, and it will then uh, be, be wrapped inside of a, a marker class that's called uh, HTML string and the engine will then see like, hey, this is something I won't touch, I won't re-encode. And in my opinion, that should be a code smell, like if somebody does it, then um, there should be some thorough review, like, hey, wh wh where does the data originate from? Like, why are we doing this for that reason? Make sure you got all the right checks happening in advance of that being exposed. Exactly. So um, I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. And there's not much of a difference for, for emphasis on the full framework because Razor does exactly the same. The, the namespaces and the type of classes are a bit different, but by default, the, the, the encoders are pretty good. Like the anti-cross-site scripting one, was um, moved to the framework itself, and the one for ASP.NET Core is derived from anti-cross-site scripting, and, and is now part of, of that whole. Pipeline. And they just automatically, it, it, they, they automatically use it though. The yeah. Razor pages don't, and let, so, so you you have to basically turn it off exactly. if you don't want it. And the nice thing also, uh, because still you would like to give developers freedom to choose something else if needed. So the whole ASP.NET Core pipeline has got its own native dependency injection inside of it. And you can still override the HTML encoder with something else or make it less strict because what it does right now, if you're, let's say, using it to render a, a page with Russian text or Chinese characters, okay. it, will double, it will also encode those. And maybe for performance reasons, you don't want to do that, right? So at the other end, like if you're doing high performance, let's say uh, web browsers on machines usually are pretty quick. But still, you might want to smoothen it out. You can still decide to, let's say, exclude that Russian code page from being encoded by default because mm -hmm. you're like, this is safe, I know what I'm doing. And that also is a good sign of, the defaults are good. If you want to do something else, yeah, you can do it, but it's explicitly done in the API by doing a specific call, which makes it easier to check from a static analysis perspective, right? And also, um, yeah, you, you can mark it off. And as I said, if you then take the whole, um, yeah, I've got a basic template, I maybe create my own tools like, uh, the thing I'm going to talk about is also you can leverage the compiler, which is called Roslyn, Microsoft Compiler Infrastructure. You can easily do some basic checks. And I always say, like, why? Like, if you do secure development as a whole, you will have a whole life cycle that includes more tools, that includes maybe pen testing at, at some point in that stage. Um, if you're doing DevOps more continuously, like that, that's a whole different story. But tools will be used. Um, there are different vendors for that, of course. Um, but you can still also write your small tools yourself by saying like, hey, uh, if, if I have this controller method that does a post, I want to make sure that the anti, uh, that the validate for your token attribute is being set on that method if it's a post. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it, it's, it's, not in, it's not really three lines of code, that's what I wanted to say, but it's yeah. a bit more, but it's easily, you can do it. So in my talk, I'm also having, I'm, I'm showing a demo app and I've created some small tools that will be included with the demo app. Okay. And you can see it, and I think that's like we need to make sure that um, we 
automate in the best way possible, take small steps in order to give feedback as quick as possible to the developer. Mm -hmm. he does the right and thing. so what are the tool, what are the, what, what's the tool called? Uh, it, so right now it's just part of my, my code examples, but okay. um, in the near future I'm hoping to publish a tool on NuGet that you can use. And the nice thing is that .NET Core 2.1 has changed the way that the CLI works and you can now get CLI tools from NuGet okay. that opens up the door for a lot of automation. So and then I would and then I would give away a bit of a teaser, like keep an eye on my Twitter <laughs> and I will at some point I will I will publish a component. I'm working on it, so there's yeah. some, some things that I need to take care of before I can do that. Yeah. And so um, I feel like with Razor we talked about token synchronization, we talked about cross-site scripting and the overall encoding process that was gonna happen there. Um, how does Razor do does Razor provide any native input validation? So good good that you point that one out. So if you use MVC and if you have a complex type that at some point, let's say you're gonna do the scaffolding story we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. I've got a data structure that I want to have credit functionality on that I want to have create, read, update, and delete on that. Uh, that can be generated by Visual Studio for you. You can write it yourself depending on what you want. Those usually involve class structures that will then be bound to fields on a view. Okay. And there's a concept called model binding in the whole pipeline, which is um, helping you out on once the user provides data to the system that needs to be processed to map that data to a data structure before it's stored. And in that model binding, you can do data annotations in order to validate that, right? So that's like first step for web app security, in my opinion, so make sure that the data is properly sanitized and validated before you do anything with it, right? Yep. Um, but the model binder helps out in the whole MVC story to um, to process the data and, and make it available inside the controller. And um, there's a piece called model, that's mo the model binder has something called model state. Okay. And that's something you need, always need to explicitly check before um, you continue. And that's, that, uh, as far as I'm aware, like for both Razor pages and Razor views, or like con Razor controllers that end up processing data, you always need to do that call explicitly. Model state needs to be checked. And that helps out the view to uh, do that string length validation or say like this is a, a postal code or email address that, that's been put in. Then the controller will get that data and then it will do exactly the same. And, and there's just one data annotation done. So it's pretty, I think it's pretty powerful if you use it in that. There's one other risk tied to that. So if you um, scaffold based on uh, entity framework context that will store data inside a database, you will get edit pages that will have entity fields on it. Let's say there is a field that you don't want to have edited, right? There's always the risk of overposting or mass assignment. That's what they call it. Mm -hmm. And it's even that prevalent, let's say, for um, Razor pages has got a lot of binding happening by default. Um, I believe Scott Hanselman from Microsoft published a blog post two months ago, which he said, like, be aware that mass assignment it can still be a big issue. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's nice to scaffold code and take it as it is, but you always need to be aware that data needs to be validated, as you already mentioned, and you only want to have the user being able to edit the stuff that really matters. And in my talk, I got an example that you've got order as a data structure, and there's order details tied to it, but there's also a decimal field called total price. And if you just scaffold it by default, that will be exposed. You might not have the UI being rendered because you removed it, but that field will still be mapped by the model binder. It will still, once the data is supplied, it will be put in. 
So a tester, a tester could find it yeah. by interacting directly with the service, even yeah. though it's not in the UI. No, and you might not guess like, okay, that's, that's of course a bit, a bit, little bit of guessing, like what type of uh, things are available. The usually um, mass assignment overpost example you will see is the is admin flag in a user account that has been created, right? That, okay, that yeah. gives somebody more power and that's the whole story. And that's an easier one to check, yeah. to have an automated tool that just scans and checks for that. Yeah, so I'm a bit fan of doing that scaffolding, but I would advise people if you don't, like don't use your data model exposed directly unless it's some, some closed system administration of that data structure. If it's publicly facing, then make view models that fit the purpose for that data, have all the data annotations in that will validate that data and then map it against the internal data structure before it's processes, right? You want to have that separation of concerns mm -hmm. in that in that world. So that depends a bit on what you want. And Razor Pages, because it's convention based, it's pretty like point and click and generation heavy, it has the risk of, of introducing those kinds of things, like having a page that's more that's exposing more internally okay. without knowing it. So, so what's is there any reason I, I haven't heard a reason yet to not use this? <laughs> but there's always something. The, the nice thing ASP.NET Core MVC even runs on the full framework because of something called Net Standard that they created. They want to have intersection between the two frameworks. And okay. at some point in the future, my expectations will be like those two frameworks will not coexist, but that will be one version no. for all. Oh, okay. I think Core will be the end station for everything. Um, is there a reason for not using it? No, I would say no, to be honest. And um, I can even see that there might be, let's say, companies that are pretty conservative about the technology that they use. They might still are like doing the stuff on the framework itself. If you see the quick pace and the, the quick way that um, Netcore also adapts to standards, let's say same-site cookies is a nice example. Mm -hmm. They have introduced it a couple of months after it was, let's say, done and the browsers, uh, not every browser supports it, but it's a nice mitigating control for a lot of factors. And they just put it in because they are able to release every six months. And I think that, that, that even makes it a bigger plus for me to say, like, please move to the ASP Netcore and, and, and have that because... The last release of the framework, the full framework, I think it's 4.7.2, also included the same side. So it's really, and those are the small bits and pieces, like a really minor release. So yeah, I think if you look at Microsoft, that that's the shift and that's probably what's going to happen. There's no reason to start out developing on the full framework anymore. That, that's my, my story. Yeah. So where would you recommend somebody who is new to .NET yeah. and web app development and... Um, you, you've shared a number of very cool things that sound like great yeah. things people should be doing. Where's, is there a good place? Does Microsoft have anything where yeah, people can so start? Docs.microsoft.com has been like really ramping up over the last year with pretty good documentation on almost everything I talked about. So um, how it deals with cross-site scripting. There are some definitely some good articles on, say, let's even uh, like look at crypto cryptography and how that's internally done. Um, so I think that that should be the first stop. The mass assignment has been covered in in, a, in an article. It's it's all like literally found there, and uh, yeah, it, it's good, definitely. So I think so. Docs.microsoft.com is yes. the place to go to exactly. to dive into these issues in more detail, and and they'll, I'm a, just like normal. I'm assuming they'll have different levels of. They'll have some beginner stuff and yeah. then things that get more technical as you start to figure them out, out yeah. more. Yes, and definitely like and like channel nine, the whole like video community of Microsoft. If you go to let's say one of the last conferences, 
there's always a good story that you can start out watching that will have some basics and then uh, explain it to you, right? It's yeah. Well, Niels, thanks for taking the time to explain this to us. Thanks, Chris, for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Our listeners will uh, get something from about, about .NET, and, and I know there's a lot more .NET people out there than we realize. Between Java and .NET, it seems like that's what everybody's doing. It's one or the other at this point with a fancy front-end framework attached to it. But um, So, yeah, thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Chris, for your time. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and visit the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Bourne and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.